Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Jason, I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you and look forward to the day when we can worship together in 3D. So come join us at one of our campuses. And speaking of campuses, I want to welcome in all of those who are worshiping in Prescott Valley with us today. We are so glad to have you with us as well. Um, If you have your Bibles or your Romans notebook, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 24 today. Now, if you don't have a Romans notebook, we've been doing this series in the book of Romans for about the last five weeks, and we do have some notebooks that go along with it. And if you haven't gotten one yet and would like one, just raise your hand. We have some uh, ushers in the back. They will walk down and make sure that you get one uh, this morning. And so we are working our way through this letter to the, to the people of Rome, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. What I'll say is, if you've missed out on any of these, I would highly encourage you to go back and to listen to them or watch them. You can find them on our YouTube channel. You can find them on our uh, app. You can find them on our website, on podcasts, wherever. Because these sermons all do build off of each other. When we're going through a book of the Bible like this, the Apostle Paul is writing a cohesive Uh, argument all the way through the book. And so they do build off of each other. Uh, Hopefully every week there's going to be some application um, that's available each and every week, Um, but they do build. And so you'll get the most out of it if we're doing it together as a whole. One of the things that we decided to do um, at the beginning of the series is to read this letter out loud over the course of this series. So if you are able, I invite you to grab your Bible, grab your notebook, and if you can, would you stand? And I'm going to read this text out loud today. So we'll be in chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. And this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Let me pray. Father, we recognize that this is a heavy text today, and I pray that you would prepare the ground of our hearts to receive your word, whatever that needs to be for us today. And that we surrender our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as you can tell from the reading, it's going to get a little spicy today. So if you have a young child that you don't want to have to uh, explain words to today, this might be an excellent opportunity to participate in our amazing children's ministry. Today, we're going to dive in. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week with verse 24. So, here we go. It says, therefore, God gave them over. This therefore connects to everything that we just talked about last week. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And so we remember last week, we've got these pronouns, gave them over their hearts, degrading of their bodies. As you go from verses 18 to 32, this is the pronoun, their, them, they, over and over and over again. So who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the people out there, out in the world out there who don't believe in God. They're not in the church service when somebody's reading this. So it's those people out there. And what are they doing? They are closing their eyes. They are ignoring the reality that God exists. They don't want anything to do with God. They're covering their eyes. They're plugging their ears. And they are suppressing the truth of God, the truth that God has made plain to them. So why would they do that? Well, the reason is because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do or to have to live in a way uh, as if they're going to have to answer to someone. So instead of worshiping God as God, they created their own gods. Because the gods that we create are gods that we can control. So we're all bent to creating gods that we can control. So they created their own gods and they worshiped them instead. And it wasn't accidental. They didn't stumble into this. It wasn't accidental. It was purposeful. It wasn't out of ignorance. It was out of arrogance. It wasn't because they didn't know God. It's because they didn't want to know God. So God had made himself plain to them, but they didn't want that God, so they created their own God. They didn't want to honor or obey the creator God, so they swiped left and gave their glory to their own gods instead. And as we're going to see today, that action comes with some dire consequences. And it all starts with these first five words. Therefore, God gave them over. Therefore, God gave them over. We're going to see this phrase three times in the next five verses. And this is a scary phrase. You got to remember, we go back to verse 18. This whole section is all about the wrath of God is being revealed. And the way that the wrath of God is being revealed is God giving them over. This is a picture of the wrath of God at work. God giving them over. How many of you 
have kids or grandkids? Let me raise them up, raise them up. Okay. How many of y'all were kids? Okay. <laughs> then you'll probably get this, all right? You've probably experienced this on some level, okay? Think about if you're a parent or a grandparent, you got kids. I got two, I got two sons, so this, this is all um, autobiographical. Think about a time when you told your kid not to do something, like, like, don't climb up the bookshelf, okay, don't do that, don't touch the hot pan, don't pogo down the stairs, <laughs> don't run around the wet pool deck, don't spend your money buying junk, don't jump the bike off the roof, don't eat all of those craisins. Don't lick the neighbor's cat anymore. So you tell them not to do something, right? You've got, you, just, you try to help them understand. This isn't going to turn out well for you. Like, if you do this thing, it's going to end with some bad consequences. So as a good parent, as a good grandparent, you stop them. You say, don't. Quit. No. You fight them to keep them from doing the thing. And then you will put up barriers in place that make doing the thing difficult. But they just keep trying and fighting and doing and sneaking and going around. And, they and then one day you just get to the place you're like, fine, fine. You want to do the thing? Then go do the thing. And you can deal with the consequences that will come when you do that thing. That is you handing them over to the desires of their hearts. And you know when you do that, you're not doing it passively. It's not as if you don't know what will happen if they do that. You know exactly what's going to happen when they do that. You know it. And you're allowing it. You are intentionally and purposely letting them reap the consequences of the decisions that they are making. And that's fine. That's fine when you're talking about little things like falling down the stairs or running out of lunch money or getting scratched by a cat. Okay? But imagine if the stakes were higher. Imagine if the stakes were higher. Imagine taking that same position of, you, if you, that's what you want, then go do it. Imagine taking that position if it was your toddler playing with a loaded gun. Because they know where the gun is, and they just keep going for it over and over, and you try to tell them and stop and don't and shut and lock the, put it in the drawer, but they just keep trying to find a way to get to it. And so one day you just say, fine, you want to play with a loaded gun? Have at it and deal with the consequences. Imagine doing that with your teenager who, who wants to drink and drive, and they get hammered one night, and you say, no, you can't drive, you can't drive, but they keep fighting, you say, fine, here's my keys, good luck. And you let your teenager drive your vehicle smashed. Imagine, imagine if it was your college student, and they're going to college, and all the kids do it, and so... You've told them not to, but they're going to anyway, so you hand your kids a handful of fentanyl. And you say, okay, fine, if this is what you want, 
Have at it. Imagine it's even the worst. Worse than all of those. Imagine if you watch your kid and they start taking steps away from following Jesus and you say, well, I'm not going to fight you on that. Just go if that's what you want. You do realize that one is worse than all of the rest of them combined, don't you? Because the other ones have temporary consequences. That one is eternal. But imagine you took that with, with those types of stakes. And you just said to your kids, well, if that's what you're going to do, then do it. Have at it. Deal with the consequences. You would never do that. Ever. Why? Because you love them. You would never allow something so dangerous to happen in their life. It would be, be unimaginable for you to set them up with that kind of failure. You don't do it. To let them deal with the consequences of those actions would be an indication that you've given up on them. You've given up. You've walked away. It'd be a sign to them and to everyone else that you're done. You're done fighting for them, and they are on their own. And that's what you need to see when you read these words that God gave them over. It is God saying, I'm done. If that's what you want, then you can have it. If you want those things more than you want me, who am I to stand in your way? It is God saying, I'm done. It is a picture of the wrath of God at work. And you don't ever want God to get here with you. To whereby he hands you over to the desires of your heart. But that's what Paul says has happened to these people. God gave them over. And what did he give them over to? He gave them over to the sexual, I'm sorry, sinful desires of their hearts. To the sexual impurity. To the degrading of their bodies with one another. This is what he gave them over to. He gave them over to the sinful desires of the heart, sexual impurity, degrading of their bodies, one another. In other words, he gave them over to the consequences of their sexual sin. Now, in the ancient world, idolatry was almost always connected to sexual immorality. Like you can actually date this back all the way to uh, Moses Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, and he goes up, and all the Israelites are at the bottom, and they're like, he ain't coming back. It's been like a month. Well, I think he died. So we probably should create a God for ourselves. And they, they burn down all of their gold, and they create for themselves a golden calf. And the text says that in celebration of the golden calf, the entire community participated in revelry. You just need to know that word has sexual connotations. A very friendly, lively, fun, exciting evening of partying broke out that night around the golden calf. Sexual impurity always is connected to idolatry. In fact, in every Greco-Roman city, there was almost always a temple. And as a part of the worship of the temple, there were temple prostitutes that would help you to participate in your worship of the the God. In fact, when you put it into the context of the book of Romans, 
The Apostle Paul is likely writing this letter from the city of Corinth. And in the city of Corinth was the great uh, temple of Aphrodite. And the historians tell us that at one time the temple of Aphrodite had 1,000 temple prostitutes available for you when you go and offer your sacrifices at the temple. They will participate with you. Sexual immorality and idolatry, they always go together. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we put things in place, idolatry, stick things above God, inevitably it's going to lead to immorality. And again, it doesn't, doesn't surprise us. We see it all the time. It's all over our culture. It's what's happening in our world. Sex is the main reason why people will suppress the truth about God in the first place. The reason that people do not want to acknowledge and submit to God is because it will interfere with their sexual desires. They suppress the knowledge of God and his desires and expectations around sex, and they elevate in his place a God of their making that tells them that what they think and feel and do and believe in this area of their life is perfectly accept acceptable. In fact, it's more than acceptable. It's actually them living their authentic self. It's them living their truth. So he continues... They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. They exchanged the truth, exchanged the truth about God for a lie. It wasn't that they didn't know the truth. They knew it. They just didn't want it. And so they exchanged it for something they wanted better. A truth that would allow them to do whatever they wanted. And what they wanted was to fulfill their sexual desire. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural, sex, natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. Now, this text here in Romans 1 is the most clear text in the New Testament condemning homosexuality. Now, there are, there are some who will say that Paul really isn't addressing what we think of when we think of same-sex relationships. It's not what he's addressing. What he's addressing, they would argue, is a thing called pederasty, which is where you have an older man who is in a uh, same-sex relationship with a young, mostly adolescent boy, and that Paul is addressing that kind of relationship, which was very common in the Greco-Roman world. And Paul was looking at the power balance between this man up here and this little boy down here. And that's what he was condemning. Not the homosexual act, but this power imbalance in the relationship. So that's what they would say. To which I just need to tell you, that's not true. There are people who will try to convince you that's true. That's not true. Paul absolutely had an understanding of same-sex relationships that were on the same uh, power balance. That existed in his world. He, he understood that. He understood that. 
Paul knew about loving homosexual relationships. And Paul talks about those homosexual relationships, and he calls them unnatural. He says they have abandoned natural relationships. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. He calls it wrong. It's an error. It is, it is not the way God intended it. It is unnatural. It goes against what the Creator created. And so to say that homosexual relationships are the same as heterosexual relationships, that's, that is exchanging the truth for a lie. To say that, that homosexual relationships can honor the Creator is to exchange the truth for a lie. Well, we could talk about the trend of transgenderism, where people are told that they can choose to be a boy or choose to be a girl or choose to be neither or choose to be both. That, and, and the idea is, look, there, there's a good chance that the Creator made a mistake when He made you. And if the Creator made a mistake when he made you, then you can choose to, to do something different. Go have a surgery. Take some pills. Do this thing. Because what the Creator created doesn't mean that's who you are. What you are is what you feel. And so you are free to create for yourself a new image that goes against what the Creator created. And again, this is an exchange of the truth for a lie. And there are so many ways that we have done this. But here's what I know. Most of us who are part of Quad City Christian Church, most of us have not bought into those lies. I know there are some of us who have, who struggle with this and are really wondering why this is in here. But most of us in here, you're part of this church because you haven't bought into those lies. You know that homosexuality is wrong. You know that transgenderism dishonors the Creator. You do not want to see the culture indoctrinate our kids to believe these lies. You are not on board with believing these lies yourself. That's most of the people in your room. I know there's not everybody, but most of you. You haven't exchanged the truth of God for a lie in these areas. Which is why I don't feel a huge need to spend a lot of time banging the drum to address these lies. Because most of you don't believe them anyway. That wolf is not in this pen, for the most part. And as a shepherd who has been called to protect and lead and serve this flock of sheep... I feel like it would be a waste of my time to address a wolf that is roaming out there somewhere that has not yet made its way in here, but may make its way in one day. But I feel like it's a waste of my time to address that wolf out there when there's already wolves wreaking havoc in the midst of this flock. It, it hasn't there hasn't been a significant amount of exchanging the truth of, for the lie related to LGBTQIA issues in here yet. 
I don't have regular conversations with people who are asking me to articulate support for LGBTQIA lifestyles. I don't have people who are regularly asking me to reconsider my view on these issues. I don't have many people getting upset with me. There are some, but it's a minority. I don't have very many people getting upset with me when I say that relationships like this do not honor God and we must repent of them. I don't get a lot of backlash from that. I don't get scores of people who send emails to me or call the church and say, take me off of the membership role or cancel my giving or take me off of the volunteers because I'm done. I don't have that happen around this issue of the lies told in the LGBTQIA environment because most of us are on the same page. But that doesn't mean that this text doesn't apply to us. Because the truth of the matter is, we have just exchanged different truths for different lies. One of the things that jumped off of the page for me when I studied this text was the reality that the homosexual sin in this text isn't even the main point. Like, that surprised me. After hearing this Romans 1 taught to talk about homosexuality for 30 years, it surprised me. that, that As I'm reading and studying, I'm like, wait, but that's not even the, the main point. That's not, even the, that's not even what Paul was trying to get to. It's As you read this text, as I studied this text, I began to realize that homosexual piece there is kind of like an afterthought that Paul was making. And let me show you what I mean. Let's go back up to verse 24. It says, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. So he calls out their sinful desires of their hearts. That's what we got to address. Their sexual impurity. He calls them out for their degrading of their bodies with one another. He calls them out for their shameful lusts. In all of this text, who is he talking to? He is not addressing at this point men with men and women with women. At this point, this whole text is about what's happening between men and women. We're not even getting to the homosexual piece yet. All of these things, he's addressing the sinful desires of the heart of men and women, the sexual impurity of men with women, the degrading of bodies between men and women, the shameful lusts of men and women. He's not even getting to the homosexual piece yet. And how do I know that? How do I know that this whole thing is about men and women? Because listen to the flow of the text. He gives us all of this relating to men and women. And then the very next line is, and even their women exchange sexual relations for unnatural ones. For natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
He was talking about men and women, men and women, men and women. And then he says, and even the women are doing this with women. And the men are doing this with men. He makes a specific transition to address the homosexual issue. He gives us all the sins that men and women are creating together. And he says, and it gets even worse. You also have men doing this with men and women doing it with women. And you'll notice that in this second part is where he begins to talk about what is natural and what is unnatural. In the same way men abandon natural relations with women. He doesn't talk about natural and unnatural in the top part because men and women, that is natural. But down here he says, no, but this, I'm, this is a different category. This is an unnatural category. What's up there, it may be natural, but he calls it shameful. The whole top half of this is not, a, it's about what happens between men and women. When we look at this text, we should not see it as a, as a text that is meant to only address sexual sin. He's addressing sexual impurity and shameful lusts between men and women, which includes all of the sexual sin that reigns in us. Again, my guess is 90% of us in this room, we haven't yet exchanged the truth of God for a lie when it comes to the LGBTQIA issues. But that doesn't mean that we haven't exchanged different truths for different lies. The reality is we've just created a heterosexual version of lies that we have come to believe. In fact, I have data to prove it. This is a research that came out in August of 2020 by the Pew Research Group, and they they did a survey of Christians related to sexual activity. And I just want to point this out to you. Again, this is 2020. They're asking about sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship. So your boyfriend and girlfriend, sexual relationships between committed adults, not married, but your boyfriend and girlfriend. Is that okay? Always, sometimes, rarely, never. The Christians say, 33% of the Christians surveyed say, it's always okay. Boyfriend, girlfriend, not a problem, always okay. 24%, sometimes okay. 10%, rarely okay. But if things get a little hot in the car on a Friday night, then it's probably okay. 68% of Christians say it's okay. Only 32% say no. It has to be more than just a committed relationship. Then we go to the next level. What about casual sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed relationship? So we're not even in a relationship, not boyfriend, girlfriend. This is your Tinder hookup. This is a one-night stand at the bar. This is a friends with benefits kind of relationship. Where do Christians land with that one? 18% always fine. Not a problem. Sleep well at night. Your conscience is clear. 32%, sometimes it's okay. 17%, it's rarely okay. But again, if you get a little toasted on a Friday night and you got some urges, it's probably all right. 33%, only 33% say a bar hookup 
is not okay, ever. It changes by 1% to even determine whether or not you need to be in a relationship. How about an open relationship? Polyamory. A committed relationship where both people agree that it's, it's acceptable to date or have sex with other people. So now you're married, that's fine, that's good, but you can have a boyfriend, I can have a girlfriend, and I'll even have a boyfriend with my girlfriend. That's all okay. Christians, self-identified Christians, 6% say always fine, always. 12%, sometimes fine, 19%, it's rare, but it could happen. You're on vacation, See it? 38% of Christians have a way to get there. Have sex on the first date. 3% always find 16%, sometimes find 27%. Only 40, I'm sorry, 46%, 46% say it's great. First date, have sex with them. It's okay. They can wake up in your shirt and you not know their name. What's the problem? These are Christians. These are where we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is between men and women. And these are not the only lies that we believe. We also believe lies like living together before you're married, it's okay. In fact, it's not even just okay, it's, it's probably preferable I mean, you want to know about their bathroom habits before you commit to them for life. In fact, there are some of you parents who've actually advised your children to move in with their significant other before they got married because you have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Sex, we, here's a lie we believe. Sex is just physical. It's like eating a burger or going to the bathroom. It's just a natural process. It's just a physical experience. Sometimes you have urges and they just have to be met, like going to the bathroom or eating a burger. That having sex before marriage is actually essential. You need to determine beforehand if you are sexually compatible. So, you don't want to wait to the wedding night to do that, so have some practice beforehand so you can make sure everything's working right. It's a lie that we've believed. The whole sex outside of marriage thing, it is good, it is good. It's good for the kids. Like for the kids, they need to know that stuff. They shouldn't be doing that, but come on, I've been married two times already. I'm an adult man. She's an adult woman. That may apply to the kids. It doesn't apply to me. You've exchanged the truth for a lie. In fact, really, what God wants for me is to be happy. That's what God wants. He wants me to be happy. And this relationship is what makes me happy. I know it doesn't technically honor him, but it makes me happy. And he wants me to be happy, and so he's okay with this. Looking at porn, it's normal and it's natural. It's not that big a deal. It just kind of gets the, uh, the blood pressure up. It's all good. It's fine. As long as you're not addicted and not paying for it, then it's fine. In fact, looking at porn, it's natural for all kids. Like, that's what you do. It's a rite of passage is what you do. And so when my kid is caught looking at porn, it's not that big a deal. It's a wink, wink, nod, nod. Just keep it hidden better. We just don't need to know. But everybody's got to explore a little bit, so it's fine. It's normal. It's natural. We've exchanged the truth of God around monogamy. 
where monogamy is no longer one man and one woman for one life. We've taken that truth and we've exchanged it for the lie that monogamy just now means one at a time. Like you can have as many partners as you want that you just got to do it one at a time. Like as long as they're in a line and not in a group, you're good to go. I know God hates divorce. The Bible says God hates, so I know that. I know God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate my divorce. My, my circumstances are different. I know Jesus says that marrying a divorced person is actually committing adultery, but, but that doesn't really matter because I'm in love. Like for real this time. Or we're, it's fine for us. We can do this because we're married in God's eyes. We're married in God's eyes. We're married in God's eyes. It doesn't matter. I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I'm married. I don't need a group of people to tell me I'm mar- we're married in God's eyes. And these are the lies that have become perfectly acceptable in the churches of America. We believe them all. The church has adopted these lies. This no longer is about those people out there. It's about, it's about us in here. These are our lies. And not only do we believe them, but we do, as Paul says in verse 32, not only do they, they, we got to move, this is no longer about they, this is about we. This is our lives. We not only continue to do these very things, but we also approve of those who practice them. I shared with you at the beginning of this series a quote by a guy named Tim Keller. He says, the gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. Paul, in this text, is making sure that we believe this one, that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. It is way worse than you think. But the good news is, you are also more accepted in love than you ever dared hope through the gospel of Jesus. So what do we do with the lies that we have believed and told others to believe and approved of others practicing? What would I say to you? I would say the same thing to you that I would say to our homosexual brothers and sisters who have exchanged the truth for a lie, and that is you have to repent. You have to repent. We need to repent of our lies, specifically the ones that we have told ourselves to justify our sexual sin. How do we do that? Repentance requires three things. There are three things that must be present for repentance to take place. The first one is conviction, where you actually feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I'm wrong. I believed a lie, and I perpetuated the lie, and I've lived a lie. And I have sinned against God. If there is no compelling conviction, you will never truly repent. There has to be confession to whereby you say to God, God, you were right and I was wrong. And here's where it is that I traded the truth for a lie and believed things that were not true to satisfy my own desires. you got to confess it. 
And sometimes when it comes to sexual sin, it isn't enough for us to confess it to God. We've got to confess it to people. Because you, many of you, you've confessed the same sexual sin to God a thousand times and nothing's changed. Because it's in our confession of people that we actually find healing. Lastly, there has to be a change. There has to be a change. It doesn't matter how sorry you feel and how many times you confess. If it doesn't actually cause you to live differently, then you've not actually repented. Take any one of these out and you do not have biblical repentance. Conviction, confession, and change. That's what we have to do for the areas of our lives where we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And the good news is that when we do this, when we repent in this way, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness, all of it. There's a grace that comes when we actually put the biblical practices to work in our life. And that's what I'm asking you to do for the lies that you've exchanged. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us today where it is that we have traded the truth of God for a lie. Where we've allowed ourselves to believe things that aren't true because it, it fits the lifestyle that we want to live. Do your work, Holy Spirit, to bring us to a place of repentance so that our hearts can be right before you today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.